Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Elaine's mission? End the silence, stigma, and shame about suicide, ideation, and mental health. Sharing your burden can lighten your load. Elaine says we must normalize the conversation to make it easier for you to voice your pain and be able to ask for help. Reaching out to another human being when you're in need of a listening ear must become the norm. Please note, the Suicide Zen Forgiveness podcast is for education only. Some of this subject matter could be triggering. For those of you that are either grieving or having mental health problems, please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. And now, here's your host, Elaine Lindsay. Hi there. It's been a hot minute since the night my lights went out. Now, that's not in Georgia. That would have meant a whole different evening. In researching what happened on this date in 1976, It's good to be here, and today's show is going to be me alone telling you another story. But this one is much more recent, and it has to do with my original accident 47 years ago. So I'll just jump in, and of course, like a lot of stuff, I tend to start with a little bit of humor. So let's just, uh, I guess, go ahead and see what we can do here. It's, it's been a hot minute since the night my lights went out. Not in Georgia. That would have meant a whole different evening. In researching what happened on that date in 1976, I found out some interesting facts. On the music charts in the U.S., the number one song was December 1963. Uh, it was by the Four Seasons, and it was called Oh, What a Night. That one's pretty bang on the nose. That night was life-changing for me. Another interesting fact, and this one has to do with Alice Cooper. He was 28 at the time when he married choreographer Cheryl Goddard in Mexico. And that's interesting because Alice Cooper actually had a part in my story that relates to my friend Andrea. And there are links to that, and I have talked about it before. So we'll just leave it there for now. We'll say... It was March 20th, 1976, about two o'clock in the morning. It was really cold. And it was that weird middle of winter kind of fog when it's painfully cold and you can't see a lot. It was Saturday morning. The phone rang just after midnight. It was someone we know who had been picked up by the police for driving drunk. 
there was a time when people did that a lot. How long ago was that? 47 years. Now, no clue if I knew it then, but it was a leap year. Don't even know if that matters. It just came up when I was researching. My husband had to work that morning, so I dressed in the dark and threw on a long hooded wolf fur coat to keep warm. Slipped my feet into some clogs. Not middle of the winter shoes for sure, but I was almost seven months pregnant. So that made a difference. When I got to the police station, my car wouldn't start. And the desk sergeant was a friend of my grandmother's. He uh, took a look at the car and he showed me that the dimmer switch back then in Mustangs, the dimmer switch was on the floor and it had shorted out. So he explained I'd have to drive carefully without lights, suggesting that I not stop on the way home. I told him that was silly. After all, I had to pee every 20 minutes. I was pregnant. So about halfway to dropping off my passenger, I ran in to use the restroom at a restaurant known as Fuller's. As I walked into the ladies' washroom, I was trying to remove my big fur coat to make it easier to get into the bathroom stall. I glanced in the mirror and saw that my sweater was inside out. I dressed in the dark after all. Immediately, the thoughts through my mind. Well, at least I've got clean underwear on. That old adage was something my grandmother used to say. It was interesting that it came to mind that night. Little did I know that within the hour, everybody would get to see my clean underwear. I did not know then, at 20 years of age, that would be the last time that me, Elaine, the pregnant young woman who went out in the middle of the night to help a friend, would never ever be seen again. I'll explain. In March of this year, at a ladies who lunch function, I ran into a former news person here in the city. Her name is Kimothy Walker. She was a journalist who was very active. She's climbed all the mountains, Everest, and she's gone all kinds of places. She's very adventurous, and she camps and does an awful lot of outdoor things, and she's a big proponent of biking. Now, she'd been in a car wreck about 10 months before, and she suffered a lot of damage. She was very badly concussed and still had damage to her chest wall from the force of the steering wheel. She'd been T-boned on her way out of town with her darling little dog. They needed the jaws of life to get her out of the vehicle. I told her it was good to see her, and I asked how her recovery was progressing. I offered some hard-earned tips for the road back to health from my own experience so many years ago. I didn't know Kimothy really well, and she didn't know the particulars of my crash, or, nor the extent of 
my losses and the extensive damage to both my legs, my body, my skull, and the loss of my pregnancy, my almost seven-month-old child. This was not the time or place to overload her with my stats. So I simply gave her some tips and let her know I'd be happy to help her navigate the system. I had been through all the assessments and all of that for years, and I knew just how much lay ahead of her. I also offered a listening ear, if and when she needed to vent. I'm not quite sure what else I said to her, to be honest. And specifically, I don't know what resonated with her. Yet within a few days, Kimothy had posted her story on Facebook after being given the go-ahead to ride her bicycle again. She called me out as having given her a new perspective. She thanked me for that and the hug that I gave her. I tend to be a hugger. I was quite taken aback because I didn't really know what it was that I'd said. And she didn't know an awful lot about me, so I didn't think too much more about it. A couple of months later, on Facebook again, Timothy posted an article that caused me to literally reassess the last 47 years of my life. Timothy realized that all the time, that 10 months since her accident, she'd been pining for her old self, that pre-accident self that didn't need hearing aids, that didn't have residual issues from the concussion and leftover pain and problems from the damage to her leg. The next sentence that she'd written hit me like a sledgehammer. She said she went back to her accident site to lay her pre-crash self to rest. She would now accept and embrace this new self and learn to work, play, and live within this new Timothy. It was the biggest aha moment for me. I had done an awful lot of work in the past, well, more than 10 years, but the last four years, I had done a ton of work. And yet, this piece, this key bit, never even accrued to me. I'd been dragging around my 20-year-old self the one that had two full legs, the one that had no huge ugly hole in her left leg, or ropey, yucky skin grafts. The me without the concussion after fracturing my skull. The me who was feisty and ferocious and at times bitingly sarcastic when I didn't get my own way. That was the me that rode horses and downhill skied and skated and swam every chance I got. I had been dragging her around with me, mourning that I could not be her, 
And it was way past time for me to follow Timothy's lead. And once and for all, lay 20-year-old Elaine to rest out on that highway beside my friend Andrea's grave. It was time to become a 67-year-old, kinder, gratitude-filled woman who now welcomes each day and all the opportunities each day can bring. I was so excited, I right away mentioned it to Timothy in a message. And she, in the greatest offer, a true gift, she said she'd be my wingwoman. And what a truly generous and empathetic gesture. She said she'd accompany me to the accident site so I wouldn't have to drive there on my own. To the edge of the cemetery that sat next to the highway where I lost so much. So, on a Saturday morning, a couple of months ago, we met at a Tim Hortons, and she drove us up as close as we could get to that spot by the cemetery in the curve of the highway where I had ceased to be me. I learned a great deal that Saturday morning. I learned that Timothy Walker has a huge heart. And I learned that she, like me, has deep intuition and feels the touches from beyond. We talked about Andrea and the night of the accident. And after about 30 minutes, this large truck came speeding up the highway and it careened to a, a super slow pace as the driver pulled over towards the cemetery fence. It's about 25 feet ahead of us. And I was quite startled and jumped because three and then a fourth and then a fifth car came to a sudden stop behind the truck. I was waiting for the crash. I was actually shuddering in fear, and I realized that they were all together. They were obviously all heading somewhere, and it wasn't seen of an accident. They were just making sure they had everyone in their entourage. Timothy asked if I was okay, and then she turned as if to answer someone. She looked at me, and the hairs on my arms rose. She said, I swore I heard a woman behind me. I let out my breath. Until that moment, I was totally unaware I'd been holding it in. And smiling for the first time fully since we got there, I understood that Andrea was letting me know she was forgiving me. I didn't even realize until that morning as I headed out that way, that I had haunted the cemetery many nights every week for the first four years after Andrea died. After the night of the accident, I never returned. That 
Saturday was the first time I had been back. And I couldn't even understand how I didn't realize that until I was almost there. Now, within a week or two, along with my friend Marnie, who was also Andrea's friend, I returned to the cemetery to pay my respects. We both did. And there's a new feeling in me now. Yes, the sadness at losing my friend at 16 is still a huge part of it. However, there's also a lightening of my spirit as I go forward into this new segment of my life, no longer dragging old damaged me. I did fully lay her to rest. That's cool because I see myself as a whole new person. No, finally, the last vestige of that 20-year-old, sad, weird, used-to-be victim has been laid to rest. And I owe thanks to my friend Timothy and to Andrea for her gift, what I call the best worst gift ever. It's a gift she left me after taking her own life. She left me in a position to understand what it would feel like to those around me that I loved. If I left. And I just have to acknowledge how grateful I am that the blinkers, the blinders, the glasses, whatever, are finally off my eyes, and I can see how incredibly blessed I am to have wonderful people in my life and to be able to do this podcast so that, in some small measure, I can give back, I can offer someone some hope that even on the darkest days, if you look, really look, you can find something that can be your reason for going on. I thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being here with you again. I'm Elaine Lindsay. This is Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And as I always say, make the very best of your today, every day. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for being here for another inspiring episode of Suicide Zen Forgiveness. We appreciate you tuning in. Please subscribe and download on your favorite service and check out SZF's YouTube channel or Facebook community. If you have the chance to leave a five-star rating or review, it'd be greatly appreciated. Please refer this to a friend you know who may benefit from the hope and inspiration from our guests. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by the following sponsors. Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you rocking page one in the search results. 
Canada's keynote humorist Judy Croon, motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City, Judy has been involved for over a decade in the City Street Outreach Program in Toronto. Lisa Sugarman, Boston-based author, columnist, and crisis counselor with The Trevor Project, America's largest suicide and crisis support network for at-risk LGBTQ youth, storyteller with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, survivor of suicide loss, and mental health advocate. Lisa's purpose aligns with the lanes as Lisa shares content and sparks conversations to help end the stigma of suicide and connect people with the support and hope they deserve. Do you have a story to share? Do you know someone you think would be a great guest? Please go to SZF42.com. And for our American listeners, that's SZF42.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again.